You're listening to a podcast from DTB. Welcome to In This Issue podcast for DTB, volume 49, number 6, for June 2011. My name's Alex Taylor, and I'm joined with Ike Iannaccio, the DTB editor. Hello. David Fazakli, the DTB deputy editor. Hello. And Bryony Lovelock, the production editor. Hello. Um, so for this month, editorial is Sunscreen SPFs, Clear as Daylight. David, would you like to run through us this with us? Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, looking out the window and seeing a nice blue sky, and uh, the effect of the uh, the sun out out there reminds us that the kind of the the whole issue of of sun protection is an important issue at this this time of the year. So, in the editorial, we look at some recent advice that's come out from the National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence about advising people on appropriate sun protection, and in particular, the level of sun protection factor or SPF that they should be looking for when applying applying sunscreens and the nice guidance talks about um, people using an SPF of of 15 to get sufficient protection from uh, from the sun in in the editorial we explain a little bit about how the SPF is derived and explain the the kind of laboratory definition of of how you calculate uh, an SPF and the amount of cream that an individual needs to apply in order to guarantee the uh, labeled SPF uh, and then we explore a little bit about the fact that this is actually quite hard to achieve in 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 reality. That applying uh, a sunscreen to the thickness that's actually required um, is technically quite quite difficult. The amount of, scre- of cream that you need to put on. So we look at some of the issues around whether the SPF is an appropriate uh, measure because it doesn't actually reflect how people use sunscreens. People slap them on. They don't follow the uh, recommended two milligrams per centimeter squared value that they should do, uh, and therefore maybe the SPF is a slightly misleading or ambiguous measure, um, and that we talk about whether this should actually reflect what well, the SPF should more reflect how people should you or actually do use uh, creams rather than how they are advised to use them. Do doctors tell people about this, or is this something that we should just know? Because I didn't know that you needed to put in two millimeters of sunscreen on us to... I mean, it's quite an interesting issue because you're right that it's not part of the, of the common discussion about sunscreens that people should apply them to a certain thickness and so on. Um, and, and one of the issues that the editorial uh, mentions is that uh, that's not typically how people do apply them. So, so yeah, it's a, you've touched on a very real issue. There, there's a theory and, and uh, around the optimal application of sunscreens, which actually doesn't bear much relation to reality. And it and isn't widely known. No. As you say, people don't know that, that there is a standard that they, have, they should apply in order to guarantee protection. But uh, uh, as we say, it doesn't, it doesn't generally happen. Hmm. Probably also worth mentioning that the editorial links to an article, which we'll go on to, to discuss later, um, on, on the role of sunscreens, potential role of sunscreens in preventing skin cancer. Yeah, that's great. Well, should we? We'll hop on to the DTB Select now, um, and we'll have a chat about. I've seen new guidelines on atopic eczema. Mike, would you like to discuss this with me? Yes, atopic eczema, a very common condition, um, impairs the quality of life of of many people. And what we do in this select item is is touch on some new guidance that's that's uh, been produced. Um, by SIGN, the Scottish 
uh, intercollegiate guidelines network on on the optimal management of, of people with the condition uh, and particularly we highlight the advice the uh, um, the guidance offers in relation to the use of topical steroids and how often they should be applied um, and also the use of emollients uh, emollients are very important for people with with uh, eczema as a way of protecting the the skin so we review um, some of the key recommendations including those those two um, we also talk about uh, a drug called tacrolimus which is a uh, uh, a relatively new treatment. It's been around for for uh, a few years, um, uh, but one which raises particular certain problems. If um, sorry, when used to treat atopic eczema, and um, so we point out some of the difficulties in using that treatment and and some of the recommendations that the guidance offers in regard to that. Tranexamic acid can improve survival following trauma. Now, we had an article about this just recently. Is it similar or...? No, no. We, we looked at the use of um, OTC, tranexamic acid, okay. um, which recently become, became available um, for heavy menstrual bleeding. But this particular use is uh, in the context of people who've, who've suffered major trauma and a large study just reporting on the use of intravenous uh, tranexamic acid and whether it had an effect on reducing mortality uh, or death rates in people who've, who've undergone major trauma. Uh, and By which you mean physical trauma? Physical, physical accidents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some sort of uh, where associated with, it, with uh, major bleeding, internal bleeding. Uh, and the results are very positive in, in that the tranexamic acid did make a difference to, to survival. Um, presumably through some mechanism of, of reducing reducing bleeding. Um, so yes, we do highlight the, the benefits that, that seem to accrue from that and the, the associated uh, call for it to be become available um, as, as a kind of emergency medicine. Which we support. Absolutely, yes. Across the world it should be uh, in, in the toolbox of things to, to reach for when people have had, had nasty accidents. Great. Thank you. Well, there are 10 articles there under our DTB Select, which you can view on our website, dtb.bmj.com. And moving on to the first article in this issue, it's Ticagrelor for Acute Coronary Syndrome. This is a new antiplatelet therapy which is used with aspirin to treat acute coronary syndrome. Um, this was licensed after the NICE guidelines were released, which recommend clopidogrel or prasugrel. What benefits does Ticagrelor have instead of these drugs? Um, good question. Uh, we, the article focuses really on on claims that uh, uh, ticagrelor might uh, offer advantages in terms of uh, how effective it is in relation to um, the other treatments you've mentioned, but also uh, whether it whether or not it's just as good as not causing bleeding, if that isn't a torturous way of saying it. One of the problems with antiplatelet drugs is that they can cause bleeding, so any new treatment, you would be very keen to know how its bleeding risk uh, compares to established treatment. So what the article does is review um, how effective um, ticagrelor is in acute coronary syndromes and also its comparative uh, uh, ability, if you like, to cause bleeding. But also an important issue, it's its relative cost. Um, It's a pretty costless treatment. And so what we try to do in the 
article is look at all of those factors. It's it's efficacy, it's it's, it's relative safety, it's cost to give a judgment on as to whether and how it should be used. And is there much? Have we got much in the way of trial data to? There aren't a lot of trials. Um, there's one principal trial which we we major on in, in assessing um, uh, assessing the things I've 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 mentioned, but it, there's not an overwhelming amount of trial data. And we better not say too much more in case we give away any of the answers to our CME questions. <laughs> oh well, let's touch back um, onto Article Two that I mentioned earlier. It's do sunscreens have a role in preventing skin cancer? Um, very relevant at the minute. David, would you like to talk about this? Yes, thank you. Uh, as we said earlier, it links to the edit- editorial, and the editorial looks at a particular aspect of, of sunscreens and sun protection factor. And in the article, we go into more depth about the use of sunscreens. So we look at the three forms of, of cancer to see whether sunscreens do make a difference to uh, basal cell carcinoma, squamous cell carcinomas, and malignant melanomas, and look at there is. I mean, there's not a huge amount of evidence out there, but what evidence there is, we we, we bring together and explore uh, whether the sunscreens have been shown to to make a difference, and then also look at the, the sort of practical issues about how to apply sunscreens, uh, what are some of the, the common problems with 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 them, which we've talked about a little bit in the editorial about people not using not using enough, and practical measures that people can take to protect themselves against against the harms of, of the sun. And those who are particularly interested in it can look at all the uh, different wavelengths that are, are involved. And it's quite an interesting introduction about the different types of, of uh, ultraviolet light that are involved in, in sunburn. Mm. That was one interesting thing I thought was the UVA and UVB and where the on the actual bottle you can actually find this information because that's relevant to us, right, as a consumer. Yes, and, and understanding like, the difference between what, what UVA and UVB light does to you and also understanding the difference between the protection that different, uh, that different sunscreens offer, whether they offer a, a high UVB protection or a high UVA protection, which isn't quite as straightforward as you'd like it to be as a consumer. Uh, so you have to do a little bit of thinking about what the different products are telling you when you look, when you look at the bottles. Once again, hand in hand with how thick we should be putting on our sunblock. So. How, how thick and how often you should be re- reapplying it. That's uh, all good stuff. One of the other things that we've got available for this particular article uh, in relation to it being a very consumer-focused message is a plain language summary of the DTB article, which is clearly intended at, at professionals. We've produced a, a plain language summary which, which uh, summarises that message for the benefit of consumers, and that's available at dtb.bnj.com. Well, thanks for joining us here today. Uh, if you have any feedback, please email us at dtbeditor at bmjgroup.com or check us out online at dtb.bmj.com. Thanks a lot. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, go to podcasts.bmj.com.